Hey, wonderfuls. Welcome to the JV Club with my marvelous guest, Brandon Collins. Brandon is all over the place. He does a ton of cool stuff. Uh, he We talk about it on the podcast as well, but he hosts the Drunk Black History show and is also, heads up, mark your calendars, doing something at the Bell House for Juneteenth, which is one of the reasons that I wanted to make sure to release his episode this week so that it would give folks the opportunity to listen up in the episode, check out what he's up to, and get tickets. So please enjoy this episode. I had a tremendously awesome time talking to Brandon, and I think you'll enjoy it. I hope everyone's having a good summer. That's not a reflection on you in any way, shape, or form. All right. I mean, I know I can be a lot with the, this the has people in my life. Tell me. a little bit of a nightmare. Um, <laughs> no, not at all. I think I just, uh, I think I just am a, a, like, I get so impatient with technology. And you would think that at this point I would have made a terrible kind of peace with it. But if it were up to me, we would be sitting in the same room together. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's... I mean, hopefully we'll get to that point, you know, uh, next year, I would say. Oh, man. Next year. <laughs> I know. I Remember know. when they said it would be a year and everyone was like, I don't see us surviving that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Guess I, what? Adaptable. Yeah, very much so. But I remember even the two weeks lockdown that we had here in New York, like everyone's like, how's this going to work? And I, yeah. I was just like, um, I mean, I ordered a bunch of meat and produce, so I was good to go <laughs> for, for the bunker. <laughs> Step one, meet. Step two. Yeah, I think I was just having a conversation about that, actually, uh, not on a podcast, which happens from time to time. It's rare. <laughs> it's rare. But uh, but I was having a conversation about kind of wondering, um, like feeling myself. I've never had that sort of stockpile kind of personality or, you know, my. I think like some some of our parents did maybe mm. because their parents instilled that in them because they had lived through the depression and all of that. And I've never really had that. And, and I do feel like there is just even this part of me that is like, well, they did run out of the tuna. I like, maybe I should <laughs> like during the pandemic, you know, that, uh, and again, totally speaking of, uh, from a place of, I mean, lower, lower middle-class privilege, but, <laughs> but still like not having, you know, just, I don't know. Have you experienced that, or were you like that before? Speaking of ordering yeah, lots yeah. of meat and uh, produce, I mean, I did had you have a, a sense of like I should buy two of something rather than just one? I mean, I had a I, I watched enough news and everything like that to understand like where we might be heading um, around yeah. like March of last year. And so, <laughs> what I did was actually the weekend before uh, New York went on shutdown, I went out for uh, to a steakhouse uh, in Queens, had a really good dinner. I knew it was going to be great. probably one of the last times I was going to be able to eat inside for the foreseeable future. Then I went home and I ordered uh, various steaks from like this one company. I ordered ground meat from this other one. I ordered ground turkey from another farm. 
and then uh, started like uh, going to improper foods and ordering from there. Yeah. So we, my wife and I, we, we planned ahead, um, which was frustrating for like, you know, for us when we found our family, like our immediate family hadn't done so. And so we uh-huh. had to like, you know, I don't know if you remember when Amazon was like out of a lot of stuff and we had to ship oh, stuff yeah. to her, you know, her grandmother. I had to ship some stuff to my, my grandfather. It was, it was a lot. Oh God. Yeah. No, I had, I'm trying to remember who I had on the podcast. It couldn't have been Nori Reed because I have had her on earlier, but someone was saying like their mom had bought all the masks. (laughs) Her mom was like, uh, she was like, "Uh, my mom has like 350 surgical masks and I feel Mm. real weird about it. And I don't know what to do because I can't like go to her house and steal them from her. But I feel like other people need those masks. This is awkward. There's a lot of social, a lot of social tests that went on. And uh, but did you have that? So so you were already kind of paying attention and being smart and planning ahead was that something that you were kind of taught as as a younger person was that something you sort of developed on your own I mean like, uh, where, I was yeah. a boy scout growing up and you know the there model there is, is uh, be prepared I'm which you. I'm so envious <laughs> always sounded like a threat but um you know it is what it is <laughs> but I mean I just like I read the news a lot especially with you know the past five years or so I like I even though it wasn't good for my mental health like I just need to know what to prepare for, especially as a black man in America. And um, like, you know, I just kept seeing everything happening like in the different countries and how they were shutting down and how everyone was like linking it to the Spanish flu. I actually ended up buying the great influenza, which is a book about the Spanish flu, just so I could kind of get an idea of where we're at in history. And I had to stop reading it because about 20 pages in, it talked about how essentially uh, religious figures were more revered than like medical professionals back in the, the early 1920s and stuff. And oh, no. it was really hard to convince people that this was a serious disease. And I saw that happening here. And that's when I was like, you know what, if everyone, everyone could do their own thing, but I have enough knowledge where I have to plan accordingly just in case. Right. So yeah. uh, my wife and I planned accordingly in regards to our new home setup. Cause we had just moved into an apartment, uh, a new apartment, um, fortunately this apartment had outdoor space. So during those two week lockdowns or Ooh, even into the summer, huge in New York, yeah, right? it was amazing. So, yeah. um, but it, it was, it was weird at the time I was working for an ed tech company too, where I, I ran uh, two campuses, actually one in Manhattan, one in Brooklyn that had over 150 students each. <gasps> and so like, I've already like, I spent that weekend also putting together like a remote teaching plan and everything because, Damn. you know, I just, I just knew that if I didn't do that, you know, I'd be scrambling to try to figure out an action plan for 300 something students. God, I mean, listen, this Boy Scout business, this is hardcore. <laughs> it was wild. Although, yeah. Although, I mean, yeah, the, I, I, I have, I, I will say I have scout envy. Uh, I did mm. not have uh, any of that growing up. Um, and yet, because my mom's side of the family is Mormon, I feel like I was hearing about Got like it. male cousins being in Eagle Scouts and stuff and being a little bit like, hey, but I might like to, uh, but no, it never happened. Uh, but, <laughs> but you would think that like more people would be, I don't, I think maybe, I think maybe the, the Scouts got into you in a very reasonable and (laughs) positive way that it may not have resonated for every person who was ever a scout or we might have been in slightly better shape. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm older now, so I definitely look back more fondly on my scouting days at the time. I grew up in Ann Arbor, Michigan, so um, it was like diverse, but to an extent, it was pretty much just white and black. And Mm, I did a lot of the stuff that were not traditional for like a young black man, especially like 
you know, growing up in the suburbs, like I did Boy Scouts. I was one of the only black people in my troop for several years. And so, yeah, uh, like I kind of learned how to not code switch, but I learned how to like adapt according to my surroundings. And also I had to adapt to my surroundings because they took me on some really insane trips where like the first one I remember was a 12 day uh, walk in Philmont, uh, which is in New Mexico. It's like the Boy Scouts own their own freaking terrain and stuff like that. And um, I was like 13 when we did that. That's a lot. I lost my mind. Like I, I like I <laughs> joked about it uh, on a podcast a few weeks ago. Like I legit, I remember my mind breaking during that because yeah. we you know we're just walking all day, and yeah. there's no one that looks like me out here. We keep hearing about these bears and like we need to pack up everything every night, like be safe. And I, I, I remember literally like losing my mind and developing an imaginary friend during this trip. Like oh, it was, I do not it was wild you at all. Did you have a sense that other that any of the other guys were kind of in that same slightly more fragile, if you will, space? Or did everybody else just kind of uh, put forth this kind of like, hey, that's cool. I'm a frontiersman. Uh, I mean, there was definitely some enthusiastic people. I think uh, I bonded with like a core group of people um, because we were just kind of like, this is kind of insane, right? Like, why did our parents let us do this? <laughs> like, yeah. And so that's how we like, <laughs> like, you know, we had like a, a group and it, it, we had a core name. We were called like the uh young hot stunners i believe because uh you know big big time uh was was a huge thing at the time um got it big timers what are they called manny fresh and birdman they were called big timers right Big timers right yeah okay uh and i just remember like that being corny but we went on several like trips like that together so we went like on a sailing trip when i was 16 off the coast of key west on a catamaran and that was an insane trip because we had to do anchor watch, which means like every few hours, someone had to like wake up to make sure like we didn't go off like the anchor course and so stuff. Intense. And so it was insane. But then also the worst part was, and I, I, I don't make, the, I haven't made this a comedy bit just because I get so upset now when I think about how like these white people put me in peril. So uh, when we like would do these little stops throughout the ocean, you know, the, the captain would drop the anchor and then she would uh, send someone to do an anchor check to make sure it's secure. So you would like go with your, your equipment, you go in the water and you like, you know, double check that the anchor was secure. Like you didn't have to grab it or anything, but you had to, you know, just check it out. And, um, I, I volunteered to do one of them. And so I got in the water and I looked down, I haven't even like dived. I'm just like looking down, like on the surface of the water and I see a family of hammerhead sharks circling oh, the anchor. And I just like calmly look, looked up and I told all these white people, I'm like, hey, uh, so I mean, the anchor's secure, but there's a bunch of sharks in the water. And they just stared at me. I remember it was such like a, it was such a pregnant pause where right. before someone was like, Brandon, get out the water. Because <laughs> I think I was in shock, right? I think I was just like, I'm sure. Did I just see those? Like, and it was like sure. three of them. So I'm like, you know, I remember that movie Flipper and the hammerhead shark was the bad one. I was just like <laughs> nervous about Flipper for some reason. It was just the bad. <laughs> so I, 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 like, I never finished the for Eagle with Boy Scouts, and I always think yeah. it's because I can't believe you didn't even get to Eagle, and you're telling me the stuff that you were doing. That's insane to me. <laughs> like you've done more survival than I have in my lifetime, and you didn't even get an Eagle Scout. That just seems. <laughs> beyond the pale that's nuts well senior year got kind of crazy for me like uh 
a lot of the people, like, you know, the group from the, the Stunners, so to speak, they all had, like, gotten eagle by the end of junior year in high school. But I got caught up with, like, theater and uh, I was around crew at the time as well. Another uh-huh. sport that black people traditionally don't play. I know. Uh, you were on crew. You really did it. You, like, checked all the boxes. Of oh, like, yeah. They, Disney could make a movie about me. I was the only black person on my crew team for about two seasons. And then another black dude joined. He was better than me, and I just quit. <laughs> like, there I don't can need be only one. We exactly. all know there can only be one. I mean, I want to go back to, to something that, that you mentioned Um and I'd love to get your opinion on it because it felt to like, I guess code switching is, is sort of, it definitely has a negative connotation, right? I mean, that's, that's because it, when, when it first started being used, it just seemed like it made sense. Mm. Cause a lot of us um, have a form of code switching, whether it's class or gender or race. Um, but I think as it became more like political or it became used in in a, a slightly more political or associating code switching was a little bit like there was something disingenuous about it or there was something that we that we need to be mindful of about uh, about race or about you know what i mean I, I always knew in the back of my head i had to i i had to carry myself in a certain way to not be threatening to people and like that's because of my environment right like i i grew up like in a in a place where it was majority white people i went to some very like uh you know white liberal uh middle school and high school but like i had to also remember like i can't get angry like about certain things i can't express myself as much as i want to and for a while i think that that's actually what stewed some of my my anger from frustration of growing up in ann arbor during high school and then i moved to new york and i started like developing my own voice as like a young black man just trying to figure it out because yeah. I feel like I was a little stunted in Ann Arbor trying to figure that out. Um, just yeah. because I didn't have like a really close black friend until my junior year in high school. And, uh, you know, that was a, a good change for me, but also made me realize like how much of my identity I hadn't connected with yet. Sure. And up to that point, I had known, I like knew how to communicate with white people, how to kind of, you know, get get to where I wanted to be with certain things, right? Like whether that's like getting a job or, you know, getting, you know, uh, recognized for my hard work in school or something like that. I knew how to do that in a way where people would want me to represent like, you know, this organization or this brand or something like that. Like that's how I got a bunch of scholarships and grants uh, when I went yeah. to college. But as I got older, like I realized I can use some of that, you know, that skill set to my advantage still while being very transparent with people and saying, Hey, like there's a, there's a corporate Brandon and then there's like comedy Brandon. Like I do that at my current job right now where they all know I do comedy. They know I produce events. I got drunk black history, media popcorn. They all know that even the CEO of the company knows that, but it's because I've been, I don't hide it. Like, you know, on my resume, I have my, my website and everything, but I always tell them like, Hey, there's a difference between day, daytime work, Brandon, and what I do outside of this. And they're very respectful of that. And I've been very lucky with the past few companies I've worked with at where they embrace that. That's great. Yeah, I mean, that's, I think, exactly what you're talking about. Like, those those types of conversations when we talk about the term code switching, it does feel like it's a forced, it's, it's, it's a potentially forced feeling mm-hmm. about having to, like, walk away from or hide um, 
things about your culture, about your race, about religious beliefs, I suppose. But um, you don't hear about that as much, I guess. But uh, I mean, <laughs> in white America, because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because you could be pretty loud and proud with your religious beliefs in white America. Um, but but yeah, I mean, in a perfect world, it would be, we, you know, there are so many different cultures. It's just like when there's one that's pervasive that code switching becomes how do I survive in an environment that is sort of stacked against me or that isn't, you know, isn't willing to or hasn't been able to embrace uh, what isn't this, you know, what isn't bottom line, like the norm, quote mm. unquote, um, then then that is that's I mean, that's how did you feel? Like, did you have a sense of uh like, did you talk to your parents about it? Like, what were what were the conversations, if any? And do you have brothers and sisters? I, I like to no, ask twelve I, questions at no, once, and no then you worries. can just pick and choose, pick and choose. <laughs> no, it's um, yeah, I don't know how deep we want to get in with the family stuff, but I grew up. Uh, I'm an only child, a uh, single mother. Um, I didn't really talk to my mom and my 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 mom's side of the family about race too much because. For one thing, they were all black Republicans. Like, I distinctly remember seeing a picture of my grandparents and my mother when she was, you know, a high schooler. And they were uh, in a picture at the uh, Reagan inauguration. And they had a picture with the Reagans. And I remember being like, even just as a young person who hasn't, like, wasn't too familiar with politics, I'm like, this doesn't seem right. And then, <laughs> you know, I found out, like, my, my grandmother's family were really close friends with the Romneys and uh, all this stuff, right? And, and also Kwame Kilpatrick, which if you know anything about Detroit, Michigan, that was a shady motherfucker. Uh, oh, wow. So, like, I didn't really talk to them much about it. And I always felt, because especially my mom was very conservative back then, and released re- uh, regarding, like, p- politics. And she would just say, you know, uh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words would never hurt me. And I'm like, no, mom, these white kids, their words hurt pretty bad. But, like, yeah. you clearly aren't identifying with that. So, um, and also the, the black kids were, were kind of rough uh, with me, too, just because of the way I carried myself. Like, I am, like, very nerdy. Like, I, I love khakis and cargo pants and stuff like that. Like, yeah. <laughs> so my style was always a little bit different. And, you know, the kids at school used to call me Oreo. And I... Yeah. I didn't really have anyone to talk to about that um, until my friend Baron uh, Jr. in high school, like he and I talked a little bit more. And I, I guess like I kind of got more, I got my black card from like Baron because he taught me a lot of stuff about hip hop culture and like introduced me to, to like great producers. Like that's how I learned about the diplomats, Talib Kweli, Kanye West, which uh, I remember when Baron played the college dropout, I know Kanye's freaking crazy. Right. But when he played that album, that was the first time with a rapper that I felt like I connected with someone like intimately because he wasn't like a drug dealer. He wasn't a yeah. game banger. He talked about how like he went to school. His parents were really educated. He's terrible with money. I'm like, I get this guy. I love uh-huh. it. <laughs> okay. We're going to take a break. I will be back after a word from our wonderful buddies at Maximum Fun. From the internationally acclaimed creators of Who Shot Ya comes the movie podcast Maximum Film. Starring producer and film festival programmer Drea Clark as a woman bound by passion. 
I saw this eight months ago on the festival circuit, and I loved it. Film critic Alonzo Duralde as a man corrupted by greed. Why watch one Hallmark Christmas movie when I can watch seven? And comedian Ifiwadiwe as a man protecting a love that society simply won't accept. I think Pacific Rim is a perfect movie. And if you can't accept that, then I want you out of my life! From the makers of the movie podcast Who Shot Ya comes Maximum Film. That's right, we changed the name of our show to Maximum Film. But don't worry, we're still a movie review show that isn't just a bunch of straight white dudes. So tune in to Maximum Film at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, wonderfuls, we all know 2020 was a doozy of a year, and 2021 had a lot of crazy surprises in store for me personally, so that is just one reason I am so glad we are sponsored by BetterHelp, and why I'm so glad that in general, people are feeling more comfortable about not just talking about their mental health, but also getting help. But that doesn't always translate into getting into a therapist's office. And I say this because before the pandemic even began, I had trouble finding time to actually get to my therapist. And I love being on the phone with her. It turns out we do great on the phone. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, even live chat sessions. And they'll match you with a therapist in under 48 hours. And also, it's just really easy to change therapists if you need to. And remember that it doesn't have to be a traumatic event, some big life moment, although it certainly can be, but it doesn't have to be some big thing that makes you feel like you finally qualify, quotey quotes, for therapy. It's not about that. It's about stressors. It's about coping skills. All of the things that therapy can bring you that you, frankly, deserve and don't need to do all by yourself. I know it's been hugely, hugely helpful for me. I would even go as far as to say it's been a lifesaver for me. And BetterHelp is way more affordable than in-person therapy. So, I don't know, see if it's for you. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and the JV Club listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash jvclub. That's better. H-E-L-P dot com slash JV Club. Because of the situation that you're in and because you are the age that you were when we're teenagers, there's can be a lot of like hormonal insecurity, mm-hmm. stuff that's just pumping through you that is, you know, creating <laughs> a heightened sense of uh, vulnerability or identity or sexuality, all that kind of stuff is sort of front and center and it can be really intimidating. Absolutely. Um, did you feel that intimidation, kind of just what you were saying? Like, did you feel like, I don't 100%, like, I feel like I've belonged in this this culture over here that doesn't feel uh, 100% great, like, and now I'm I'm sort of uh, finding out about a, a different culture that has a, a sense of, like, I fit in some different and perhaps profound way, but is mm. it too late for me? Like, did you have any of those kind of fears? Um, Not, not really. I think when I came but, to New York, I, like... I was so in, in, uh, ingrained in the melting pot idea of New York um, that I I just wanted to find out who I am as a person. Yeah. Uh, and I just happened to like have, you know, I, I put black as like, you know, a big component of that and trying to figure out what that means for me. And I think that that's why I'm very, very grateful, like the diverse friend circle I have. My best friend's Haitian and like. I was like, I tell Ross all the time, like, if I had known you in high school, man, I'd probably be a completely different person. Like, I've, I would hopefully eventually become the mature Brandon that I am, but I just think I would have been able to handle some of the trials and tribulations growing up in high school a little bit better. Um, because, sure. you know, I didn't have, 
I didn't have friends where I could really talk about like the things I was dealing with and like what I was going through. And also I had like some family issues that popped up uh, with my mom and like that, that became a whole thing. My, uh, my senior year in high school and I didn't know my father. So like uh, my senior year in high school, I actually ran into my father at a grocery store and like my senior year in high school is just really rough. And this is after a bunch of stuff I had with my mom and we were at the grocery store and she sees this gentleman with like a, a little girl. She's like about eight or so and they exchange pleasantries. I at the time, like, I think I was like trying to like go on a date or something like that. I just like didn't want to be at the grocery store, like, you know, taking my mom because she didn't have her yeah. car anymore. Like I had to drive her. And I was just frustrated. So I didn't really pay attention to the guy or the little girl. We get in the car after we do our shopping. I'm like, oh, who was that guy? And she's like, that was your father. And I was ah! like, oh, Jesus Christ. So, like, my mom and I already had, like, a rough relationship up to that point, and that just, like, yeah. made it, you know, exponentially oh worse. Oh, my God. Um, and then I, so I've since, uh, so I don't know how far we want to get into the, the father stuff, but I have found out I'm, more I'm, about I'm, him. I'm all about any, I'm all about any of it. I really am. Like, okay. I'm all about wherever the conversation takes us, because inevitably I'll, you know, I just get so many emails from people who are like I, I i've never heard anyone in the same situation or mm. you know there's something about that 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 caused me to reach out to so and so and like you know the funny is there because we're funny it's fine. <laughs> like but you know okay. i like to i like to dig in you know okay i mean i grew up like all my close friends growing up they they started off at least for the most part having the two-parent household and the big houses i had like a one-story house no basement i had no siblings I didn't have a two two parent household, so I always felt like the odd duck, no matter how friendly and inclusive my friends tried to be with me, right? Yeah. And then like missing my father and trying to like build up my personality and my confidence without like feeling like I didn't need him in my life. What'd she tell you about him if you don't mind my So she all she would tell me when I was growing up was his name was Richard. He was a doctor at the University of Michigan and you know, uh he came from a really religious family and a really big family. That's all I knew until my wife and I went to go get our marriage license here in New York about two and a half years ago. And the clerk was just like very adamant, like, hey, I know like you said you don't know your father, so you can't identify them. But uh, we need, you know, the legal name because it's going to like take a long time to process this. If like you can't provide me with a legal name, I guess because in New York, supposedly like wants to make sure you, you and your partner aren't, aren't related um, that's a whole weird thing. But so I called my mom and I told her, I'm like, Hey, like I, I need my father's full name because you know, I can't get my marriage license, uh, in time for the wedding this weekend without it. So she gives me my father's legal name. And, uh, I, I realized at the time I could have just given a fake name and like New York wouldn't have cared or double checked. But well, I would have done the same thing. I'm such a, I'm such a like, oh, I better, let me see what I can do. Exactly. Authority yeah. figure. My wife gives me a hard time about it all the time. She's like, you're such a goody two shoes. I'm like, <laughs> I, I, you know, I learned from the Boy Scouts and like yeah. snitching like in grade school. It's not my fault. Um, and so uh, as we're telling the clerk my, my father's name, my, my fiance, now my wife, she Googled him and then found out that he was a, acclaimed uh, Oregon transplant specialist who died in a plane crash my senior year in college, Jesus uh, delivering at Oregon, trying to deliver Oregon to upstate New York. And that oh. there's a memorial in his name, the University of Michigan. I found out all oh the stuff. Um, and it, it, it was obviously a lot, and it was the week of our wedding. So oh. that, I mean, we I had my closest friends in town, so I was able to like kind of get through it, and we still had a great 
um, yeah. time, but it took me about a year and a half to decide whether or not I wanted to reach out to my half sister. Cause I found her through uh, Facebook after looking through like the memorials for my father and like learning a little bit more about him. And so yeah. she and I connected and then, that's a little girl from the grocery store. Yep, exactly. And then since then I've found that uh, I have five aunts from my father's side of the family. He was the only boy. And so it's just been a, it's been a lot unpacking that the past uh, few months. No, COVID's kidding. been wild. Yeah. I was going to say, luckily, there's also been a pandemic that's been <laughs> like, grossly affecting. Exactly. Just add on the stress. Add on yeah. the stress. I, I, <laughs> this gives me something to talk about therapy every week. Oh, my God. No kidding. Wow. And did she and so has you did your sister not to tell her story? Uh, but I'm just wondering if just anecdotally, mm-hmm. like there, he had told her anything about that meeting in the grocery store or if you, if she was just like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, yep. No that's, that's exactly how it started off. Uh, she was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Like when did your mom and my father supposedly meet? Um, cause this isn't quite aligned with my mom and my father's story. Uh, and then like we, we, we just got talking and like immediately we had a lot of similarities. And so, I think also my wife speculates that she, you know, like, like I said, I'm kind of an open book. Like you can find me online if you really want to. So yeah. we think that she probably looked up some videos of me, like looked up photos and was like, mm, there might be some resemblance there. And that's, mm. I think that that's what helped build up, uh, you know, our, our relationship, so to speak. I'm doing that in like air quotes because we're still, we're still figuring it out. But, um, you know, I, I'm, she tells me about a lot of the stuff that she's working on. It's like incredible. And I try to be as supportive as I can about as like this weird kind of peripheral half brother. Um, Yeah. So it's been Yeah. Talk about like, not like nobody knows all, all, all the rules, all the sort of like, here's how we've been taught to, here's what you expect from this member of your family. Like there's just none of that. There's no, you get to make your own rules, I guess, you know, that's absolutely. And you can take as long as you want, the two of you, to figure out what that dynamic is going to look like. And it can change, you know, but but to feel like, what do I do with this? Like, I have this <laughs> genetic connection. I have, I'm finding that I have, there's, you know, things that stretch beyond that about us. Um, but, like, where does that all fit? And, I mean, I, I, that's huge. Yeah, and I'm, I'm just trying to, you know, I'm... I'm very uh, honest in my comedy, like where I talk about my life experiences and I, my favorite kind I, of comedy. I allow myself to be vulnerable. I allow myself to get uncomfortable. And like I had a, a seven minute bit about my father before I started connecting with my half sister. And now that I've connected with the half sister and gotten to know some of my aunts who are interesting to say the least. Um, I'm like, I'm going to have like a lot of material coming out of this pandemic. That's going to be very <laughs> personal. Um, it's 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 gonna be it's gonna be wild. I think I can make it work um, because I've been reconnecting with like my feelings about you know not having a father in my life, about kind of missing a sense of family. Because my wife comes from a huge family, uh, and her culture is just about family and community. And so for me, it's always been so foreign. And now to have like this family, you know, this family pop up and say oh my gosh, we, we definitely want you to be, you to be in our lives. And, yeah. you know, you, you can take off the moniker, your father, which was like the Prince of the Ladies, I believe, is what one of my aunts said. And I was like, that sounds insane. <laughs> like, I don't know if I want that <laughs> title. That, I don't know if we can have that title in this this culture. But um, it's just, it's, it's, been, uh, it's been a lot. But at the same time, like, 
it has been, it's been really eye-opening. And one of my aunts, uh, we had a phone conversation. She, she told me, oh, wait, you know, the comedy and, like, theater stuff and creative stuff, it doesn't come from your mom's side of family. That's definitely from us. And I, I remember starting to cry on the, tr- on the phone mm-hmm. because I'm like, I've always wondered since I was in high school. Like, I used to do theater and sketch comedy and stand-up comedy in high school, and my family supported me. But I could always tell that they were like, I don't know where this comes from. Like, I don't <laughs> right, know right. What, where he has this drive, but we're going to fully support it. And, yeah. like, to hear, like, oh, it comes from, like, she was very confident being like, this comes from our family because we all do yeah. a bunch of stuff. Um, and that was that was a more overwhelming than I anticipated. I thought it was going to yeah. be, I thought I was going to be able to project, like, this isn't going to impact me and I'll be fine. But it, it, it does get to me, you know. it's Sure. And being honest about that, I think, uh, will just make me, you know, make me uh, more open-minded about what, how this could all pan out, but also in my writing, like it allows me to be more honest. Man, I love that. And I, and I think that's, I, I mean, from my limited perspective, that is, that is right on. And the way that we process stuff is so, it's so elusive and it's, you know, so, and I mean this like not in a condescending way, but like, it's so adorable how we as human beings are sort of muddling our way through like (laughs) how much of our brains we use how much we're connected to our ancestors like what the future will look like how we process anger pain all of that kind of stuff and it's it feels like still i mean (laughs) adorable at best uh frightening and life-threatening to others at worst obviously Mm -hmm. (laughs) that probably goes without saying but i just lost my mom in february and uh and it it is like it is a trip. Like, I can't imagine mm. people younger than me losing their parents and kind of going through this process where, you know, something like that, I just you saying that, you know, you hear things and you that's not a thing you think will trigger something or it's not a thing that you think you're going to have a strong reaction to. Like, I feel like I, I think of myself as a pretty emotionally in touch with myself person. And there's still just all this stuff <laughs> that's been cropping up where I'm like, oh, I... I clearly am still like, I guess I do need to process feeling abandoned at age five. Like this is all coming back in this new way just because, (laughs) you know, that this person isn't around and it's, it's just, it's, and, and like, it helps me. And I think I'm hearing a little bit of that too. And you talking about your writing that there's not to be clinical about it necessarily, but to be able to sort of be analytical and to be able to you know, I mean, the I guess the literal form of that is writing it down and and working on and crafting it and incorporating it into your art form or your, you know, mode of communication with yourself and with the world. But that stuff is really helpful because I do feel like you sort of you sort of hold it in a you, you hold it at a different distance. Mm-hmm. You know, you can hold it close up, you can hold it far away, you can hold it over here, you can hold it in this light. And that helps rather than just sort of feeling like overwhelmed by it and just putting it away somewhere, you know? Definitely. Definitely. I mean, for my writing, uh, I'm, I'm currently working on a screenplay about when I was in my senior year in high school where, uh, we were part of a sketch comedy group that was part of like the theater group, uh, pioneer high school, which is this huge, massive high school with a huge theater budget. Right. Oh, and, wow, nice. uh, <laughs> the, we we did this show called Six Mile, which is like a parody of the Eminem movie, which is the biggest <laughs> thing at the time, right? And so like that, like I remember like that being the theater being packed to the gills, 
And overnight after that show, our group became like the most popular kids at school. And because of me, like, you know, my insecurities and just wanting to be liked, it was like so exhilarating to be like the popular kid for once, right? Oh my God. Totally. And then uh, we're prepping for the next uh, sketch group and this sketch comedy show. And the, the guy who was running it, he is this local comedian. And essentially, I guess he like got gassed up too with the audience. And it's like, oh man, this is going to be huge. We're going to get like a lot of press. And so mm-hmm. instead of allowing us to do the uh, Saturday Night Live like format where we all write our sketches, we rehearse, yeah. he wrote a whole script. That was going to like be commentary on reality TV, and uh-huh. it was absolutely terrible. But yet we <laughs> no. we saw it through, and it was one of the worst shows I've ever oh been a part of. God. And I've been a part of some terrible shows. I've been a part of a show where you literally couldn't hear the comedians because the bartender just purposely shook all their cocktails so loud <laughs> to disrupt oh the show. And all so the forms of protest, <laughs> exactly. All the forms of protest. <laughs> Uh, okay, first of all, yeah. I gotta I gotta hear a little bit more about Six Mile. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so so in in high school, you was that kind of the the place where you were, like you said you were doing um, scout stuff. You were doing, and then you got you felt pulled more in high school as a teenager towards like actual um, creative performance and stuff like that. Yeah, I I always been I always been into theater. Um, I started like doing theater consistently in middle school, and then I kind of stopped freshman sophomore year just because my grades weren't the best and I was wrong crew I was trying to like get in better shape and uh, I was also in Boy Scouts right so I I, for some reason like I just wasn't tapping into my creativity and then I went to go see a a show at the Pioneer High School and was really digging what the theater was doing I was like oh they're thinking outside the box they're doing some really avant-garde stuff let me let me audition for the next musical next year. And so, junior year in high school, I auditioned for how to succeed in, uh, in music without really how to succeed in business without really trying. Not music. Um, <laughs> I didn't succeed in either one, uh, but <laughs> I remember auditioning and I told the director I sing like Craig David. Like this is just insane, Brandon. Like I was sixteen, just so stupid. And uh, I remember the directors were like, "Oh, sweet!" And then I started singing. They're like, "What?" <laughs> But then they cast me in the one lead role that didn't sing. Aha. Uh-huh. And so it was worth a try. It was it was worth the try. And because I made them laugh, it was a humorous role. And so I essentially stole this the scene every yeah. every performance. And then uh, one of uh, one of the directors was like, Hey, you should try out for the sketch comedy group that we have. That's like a subsidiary of the theater group. And I went to go see one of their shows. I was like, oh, this isn't, this isn't bad. But there's this guy, this uh, mixed kid named Sean, who's one of my, my favorite people in the world. Uh, he had this huge afro, and he was just the funniest dude ever. And so I went to the rehearsal, uh, the next practice for the sketch comedy group. And I remember going to Sean, going up to him. He didn't know me from Adam, right? I go yeah. to him like, hey, man, I'm Brandon. I love everything you do. I'm going to write a bunch of sketches for us. And he was like, cool, man. <laughs> like, he didn't care. He was just like, cool, awesome. man. And so he, he and I, muse. yeah, he and I just worked together a lot. And so when when he quit after that disastrous show, um, I was like, well, I, I can't do this either. And at the time, I was a co-president because I was a senior year. I was, it was my senior year in high school at this point. And me and this guy, Max, we were the co-presidents. And I was just like, I don't want to do this without Sean. He's the main reason why I'm here. And so... I quit. Then after that, uh, Max, the other co-president, quit. And then this dude named Jimbo, which is, now that I'm older, I'm like, Jimbo is such an insane name. Why did his parents do that to him? No wonder he was crazy. <laughs> um, and after like a few days, I remember just 
I, I went to my primary classes were at community high school. Like, so Ann Arbor, Michigan is very weird. It has like two main high schools and then like mm-hmm. it had just like a kind of like a charter school called community high okay. school. Right. And so that's where I went for the majority of my classes. But then I would do theater and other stuff at Pioneer High School. Okay. So at community high school, we had a theater space, but it was rarely used. And so I remember like walking by it and being like, I wonder if I could do something in here. And so I went to the, the dean. I was like, what's the deal with the theater? They're like, oh, you just need an adult supervisor and you got to pay like this rental fee, but you can do whatever you want with it. And I was like, okay. And so I just went to the, the guys who left the comedy group with me and I said, why don't we start an independent comedy show? So my screenplay is all about that. But the thing is, it's been opening up old wounds because at the time I had like this girlfriend that like ended up breaking my heart. Uh, I was very, I was like I said, I was very big into trying to be popular. And so I'm listening to music from like the early 2000s and that's triggering because oh, I think about the school sure. dances where <laughs> I could get anyone <laughs> to dance with me and stuff. And it's just, it's, 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 it's been fun though. But I've also like reflecting on like, well, why did I make this like, you know, cause I have a main character that's based on me. And so I'm reflecting on my feelings about certain things I have with my mom and like, you know, with like uh, trying to be a leader without like, you know, but lacking self-confidence and like what, you know, what was it like going through that? What were like the honest emotions? And uh, I think it's going to be really good. I, I, I think that it's the most honest screenplay I've written so far. Um, and it's, it's, it's been therapeutic. Yeah, probably yeah. Hard, to, hard to write in, in, in a different way. Um, okay, and so uh, so this group uh, with the guys, you guys all wrote uh, Six Mile together? Yep, yep. So we uh, we, we pitched, it, it was very Saturday Night Live-esque. I, I know like our group leader, he like studied Lauren Michaels and everything. So we, we followed that format pretty well. We were like pitching sketch ideas. Then we, we'd assign them accordingly. And then we start writing them out, rehearsing them. And then we would also do practicing of stand-up comedy. So that's like where I got my bones doing stand-up as well. And it's so early. I mean, for yeah. all that, that's so cool, <laughs> Brandon, that you were doing all that so early. That's uh, whenever somebody talks about doing sketch in high school, I'm always like, Oh, that's so cool. Cause I came to that kind of thing. So late. Got it. Yeah. Um, it was a lot of fun. It, yeah. it was exhilarating too, like just performing in a packed room and making everyone like double over laughing I actually, like, I always tell, like, my, my friends were before, like, you know, we're about to perform maybe together or something like that. And they're like, oh, you're nervous? I'm like, a little bit. But, like, I'll never be as nervous as I was during Six Mile when we had over 100-something students. <laughs> and, like, the girl I had the biggest crush on was sitting in the front row, like, right in front of the stage. And I had to do a stand-up set. And I'm like, I don't know if these jokes are going to work. And I'm going to bomb in front of this really hot chick. And she's never <laughs> going to go on a date with me. And I, I ended up killing. And then I remember, like, that Monday, she she's like, oh, that was a really good show. I was like, sweet. <laughs> and, and then did that lead to anything? No, no. We, uh, we were, <laughs> we were going to – because at the time, um, she was on and off with this one dude. Um, and then when they finally broke up – you'll think this is funny. When they finally broke up, I think I waited, like, two weeks. Like, we – she and I did a lot of activities together. Like we were like peer educators for Planned Parenthood. And like, we ran the student, uh, you were so busy. <laughs> yeah, Jesus I was, Christ. we you ran had it all going on. <laughs> like, and then the fact that you would, with everything else, that you would wander past the theater. No one was using and be like, I'm the, I'm the guy who's going to bring this, this theater to life. Yeah, I'm well. going to do something with this. It's amazing. It's <laughs> but, amazing. uh, yeah, she and I, like, we also ran this like a uh, diverse student group, uh, called seed. 
And um, so she and I were really close. And I remember after one meeting, because she and I were like, I think she was like the co-president. I was like the treasurer or something like that. And I remember being like, hey, uh, do you have any plans for this weekend? She's like, no. I'm like, oh, you know, would you like to do dinner Saturday night? She's like, sure. So that's the weekend uh, where the whole East Coast, like going into the Midwest, had a huge blackout. (laughs) And so I couldn't get gas for my new car that I just bought. And so like, I was like, I was like, I don't think I'm going to make it. Cause she lived on the other side of town. And so like to go pick her up and then try to yeah. figure out like where to go from there was just unrealistic. And so I remember calling her that week and be like, well, I guess the universe is telling us something cause there's a blackout. So, and it just <laughs> never followed up after that. And then a few weeks later she got back together with the, the one dude. So. Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> Blackout shut you down. It did. It did. I remember making that phone call. I was like, this is, I'm never going to get a chance. I'm never going to get her a chance. And I did it. <laughs> it was so funny. So that's cool that you were doing a, a diverse students group. Um, so that by that point you felt, I mean, kind of, you know, you were, were, you were just talking about feeling a sense of wanting to lead or a sense of wanting to mm-hmm. um, incept stuff. Is that a word for like, you wanted to sort of, you know, you had, you were a creator, right? I mean, you had this, this desire to not just do a thing that had already been established, but be a part of something where new things were being made or written or, um, was that, uh, did that, I mean, like, how did that come about that you ended up working with this group and how did it inform your own sense of the diversity at your school and like sort of your, what your experience had been. Sure. Um, I can't remember how I got involved with the group. I think I, I think my, my, um, we had like a, this house room, like, which is like the first 15 minutes of uh, the day were like, you know, homeroom. That's what it was called. And um, I remember my adult supervisor who actually ended up being my adult supervisor for the, when I rented out that theater at community high school, she told me about the organization uh, students educating each other about discrimination. That's what it meant for, uh, the acronym meant. And, um, I just like was going to a few meetings. It was fairly diverse, especially for Ann Arbor. Like there was black kids, white kids, a few Asian kids. And I was like, okay. Yeah. That's my next question. Cause you yeah, mentioned I can kind of dig mostly this. Like it was too. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, I can dig this. And then eventually, uh, that was freshman year and I just, you know, consistently went. And then there was elections, uh, for, the upperclassmen to, to get leadership roles. And I remember putting my hat in the ring and I, I became one of the leaders. Um, and like, it was just like, it wasn't too much of a heavy lift considering all the things I already was doing. Uh-huh. And, um, <laughs> yeah, just pile it on. Yeah. And it, yeah. it was, it was a good opportunity for me to have, uh, some conversations that I wasn't able to have with my close friends, which was a bit ironic that I was having them with strangers, but you know, it, and well, that's interesting. Me, yeah. That's a really good point, though, because that I mean, don't don't you feel like there's a there, that happens to a lot of us? Like that's like sometimes, especially if you're if you feel like you're part of facilitating other people being mm-hmm. able to communicate and feel comfortable, like that's a really good feeling, and it's a good place to open up if you already feel like I'm being of service in some way, or you know, definitely. Like I'm figure I'm still figuring this out too, but I'm also helping this other person figure it out. Yeah, I mean, it's it was a lot easier, honestly, to have those conversations where you were 16, 17 than it is as an adult now because, mm-hmm. you know, so many people have baked in ideas now and they're, they're kind of lack adaptability or flexibility on those thoughts. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, I guess, like, that's, like, something I would 
I would actually think from that experience is that I'm, I was very open to being fluid about my opinions. Mm. And I think for me, that's why I was like, you know, I always knew in the back of my mind, I'm like, this whole family, black, you know, our family being black Republicans, it doesn't sound right, but let me just like wait and see how I, you know, how I come out with the, on the political spectrum. And, right. you know, I, I, I try not to rush to judge people until like I've seen, you know, their actions and how they treat other people. Like, but for me, like, that's why, like, when I first moved to New York and I, you know, everyone's, you know, fish out, you know, water a little bit in college, but I didn't really excuse like ignorance, like homophobia, um, racial slurs, none of that. Like I was like, if that happened around me, I'd be like, I'm not associating with this person. Like I don't, I don't need to. Um, and I think I, I grew that conference from knowing that there are people out there that are toler tolerant and open-minded. You know, and I think, uh, I got to credit seed for that kind of like showing me that. Yeah. God. Yeah. I'm I, every time I, I mean, listen, I talked to someone like you who had that much going on in high school. I feel like the big, biggest bum in the world. <laughs> I'm like, I, but I also was doing theater. No, it didn't take up that much of my time, but I, I can pretend like it did to people who weren't also <laughs> doing theater and a million other things yep. at their schools. Um, does that and and as far as the the sort of black republican conversation goes i mean that's i'm sure something that comes up and a lot in conversation and in comedy uh, because it is sort of i don't want to say punchline in a derogatory way i just mean in a cynical way like in the way that alt comedy is cynical or in the way that do you know what i mean like yes um that that, that there's a lot of conversation about how is this a thing um, how does it happen? Like, what, what's what's the impetus behind it? And people say it, too, about, like, you know, some, like, queer folk who are, like, highly Republican. Like, how do you embrace this part of this agenda and I, somehow you are you just ignoring or are peaceful with all of this other litany, litany of stuff that people that, you know, ostensibly you respect are pointing to and going like, what about this? But what about this? Well, how do you feel about this? Yeah. Um <laughs> is that stuff that you that, that still comes up for you a lot? Is that stuff that you're sort of uh, that you kind of worked through as a younger person in New York and all that? Um, not not really, because by the time I graduated college in 08, my family had kind of turned around because, you know, that's when Obama was running um, yeah. and they were like, you know, they kind of flipped. <laughs> and that's why I was like, oh, you guys weren't like really loyal to the cause. You just were. You know, they, they were, my grandparents were a bit more well off than a lot of people, especially in Detroit, Michigan at the time. And yeah. so I think it was all about the quote unquote fiscal conservative um, versus like about like, you know, their policies that are like right. impacted a lot of ethnic people. Right. But right. even for well, that, then you get into yeah. class, like, I mean, then, exactly. then you realize like how big a part class plays in that stuff as well. Like once you have, if you feel like you've worked hard for something, or even if you don't feel like you've worked hard for it, but if you have it and it's what you're used to, to be at a point where you're like, look, we have, we're, we have a lot, we've worked hard for it. Uh, and we don't trust the government, frankly, to come in and tell us how that money needs to be spent because look, it's spent poorly this way, this way, I'm not seeing anything positive coming out of this social reform, yada, yada. Like you can see how that can happen you can see how it can happen. It's just still like there are some head scratcher moments for, for a lot of people. Well, definitely. Like, like I, I can see that for my grandparents, like based on where they started and where they ended up. And like, yeah. you know, a lot of my grand, 
mother's like family kind of like leached off of them, uh, so to speak. So I kind of get where that came from. Well, my mom, that's where it was a bit more confusing. That's why occasionally here and now, like I'll, I'll rubber, I'll, I'll tease her a little bit about being like a black Republican. Like she was like a black Republican in college. Like she was part of the Republican group and stuff like that. And I'll tease her because I'm like, mom, like how are, how are you still Republican going into like my high school years in the two thousands? Because we were on government assistance, like my last two years in high school. Like, what mm. are what are you talking yeah. about with some of this stuff? And you know, eventually, you know, she's very, very liberal now. Um, mm. And I think that's just because of like the past uh, five years that she's just like, I can't even believe I associated myself with this party. I'm like, yeah, I don't know what you would think, but I, I'll give you a pass because you were young and like you were obviously just influenced by your parents. Um, yeah. But I was like, it's. It's really weird. Um, I don't talk about it too much because they aren't black Republicans anymore. But growing up, it was definitely like, I'm going to keep that to myself. Like, I remember that Reagan picture and just being like, I'm not going to tell anyone about that. I mean, <laughs> some people might be impressed that they knew the Reagans and like they, they knew the Romneys. But I'm like, right. just like as a young person, I'm like, uh, like, even though I have a lot of white friends, I don't know if like this uh, makes a good conversation starter. Right. Well, again, it like, like from a very, it, I, I've just... I've been so conditioned because I did have, you know, like public school teacher, white liberal parents who were like, mm-hmm. take all my tax, like take all my taxes. Like I don't make, <laughs> I don't make enough. I'm a teacher, but also still take my money because I'd rather more people be taken care of. So I was very uh, much God bless them. kind of raised in that, in that environment. So all I can think, like the first thing that my dad would say, if he saw that picture was like, Oh my God, the Reagans were so excited that there was someone black they could take their picture with. <laughs> Like they probably have, they probably have that same picture in the Oval Office just to prove, like, huh, huh? Yep. <laughs> look at us. Look at look at how look at how we have these wonderful black constituents. See, we're great. Like, which is very cynical, very cynical. But you know, that joke could be made, right? I mean, I don't. Oh, yeah. I hope I'm not saying anything offensive. I'm just literally no, saying, no. like, from a from a liberal standpoint. You know, it's the same thing. And it, you know what? Listen, it happens. It happens across the board is the sort of like, you know, oh, the camera's really lingering on that Latinx family in the uh, <laughs> audience for Trump. Like, I wonder mm-hmm. what that's about. I'm sure it's because they respect it so much rather than like, here's an opportunity to show how diverse our constituents are, even though that's not accurate. Or, you know what I mean? What actually Absolutely. is accurate with Trump's. But yeah, I know what you're what I mean? saying. Yeah. Uh, I think for me, like, uh, I, I do have friends that are all you know, on the pet political spectrum, they're all over the place. Um, yeah. I don't have any friends that are like close friends that are libertarian though. Cause I, I, I always find those people a little kooky um, <laughs> depending on who they follow, you know, intimately yeah. uh, in that political circle. But uh, like, I think that that just makes me a better person because it allows me to be more well-rounded and understand different perspectives. 100%. I do. I do try to bring people together to like have like, you know, just, just to get to know each other on a human level. And I think that that's uh, one of the things I really appreciate about some of the projects I work on is that they bring people together from different backgrounds and it allows you to just have a conversation about like things that we're passionate about versus things that divide us. And I think that that's something that um, is really, really important to me the past year is like, I only want to like be involved and do stuff that like, just brings people together in a positive way. Like I'm, yeah. I'm not about like tearing people down. I've, I've worked through therapy to make sure that I'm not like jealous of anybody. I don't let that impact my, my relationships because I have in the past. Um, 
I just want everyone to win. Like everyone that I care about, I just want them to win. And I think when I reflect on like, you know, my formative years and growing up, uh, I definitely have, I've embraced um, that supporting of other people versus like just wanting to make sure that I succeed. Yeah. Well, and I, 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 hearing you say that, I mean, I, I feel exactly the same way. And I think that's been a really interesting that has been a really interesting series of conversations to have because going back to what you were saying about being in New York and and being around people who you know were came from a different background, but that background or whatever their series of decisions that they made to take them to that point still involved being homophobic or still involved you know tossing a racial slur here and there um, that you would just sort of go you know what goodbye. Like, I don't need, you know, it's, I think we, like, there's a, there's a sort of a push pull um, with everything that's going on in the country right now of wanting to not walk away and just tear people down and say, well, you're on, you're, you're over there and I'm over here. And it's clear to me that, that you're totally hopeless. (sighs) Um, But also like, where do you expend your energy and where do you put your optimism and all that? You know, do you find like, that's something that you kind of are still grappling with? Cause I, I am for sure. I mean, I grapple with being optimistic about the country as a whole in regards to my circle of friends, I actually, um, I mean, it's tough because we haven't really seen each other in person, but um, like I have like a group of conservative white friends that are like my, my, my brothers, right? Like they were in my wedding party, like one of them officiated the wedding and I know like that they were supportive of Trump, right? And stuff like that. And we've had conversations, but it was very surface level. And then with the George Floyd stuff happened, I actually in our group chat, like I stopped talking because the George Floyd thing for you know, just just watching the, the video and stuff like that, it really hit me on a different level. Like, Trayvon Martin was really bad. Like, that was a bad few weeks. But this, like, hit me just, like, in a way where it's like, this keeps happening, and it's happening during a damn pandemic. Like, we people shouldn't even be outside. Like, why are, like, cops killing black men, right? And um, they noticed that I, like, I hadn't said anything, and they were, like, both checking on me separately. And at the time, I was, like, angry. I was, like, angry tweeting. And this is before I got my therapist that I have now and stuff. I was just not handling my emotions well. And I was angry tweeting about the white friends I have and how I I felt like they were, you know, they're always just, like, paying lip service, but they don't actually, like, care that much and Mm -hmm. stuff. And um, I remember, like, thinking, this isn't a healthy way to handle this. Like, if these dudes are my brothers, like, I should be able to tell them honestly how I feel. And if I can't do that or if like they're not receptive, then like this is where obviously our friendship ends. And I remember talking to both of them separately about what was going on and how I was feeling. And they were both incredibly sensitive, uh, a bit remorseful even because, you know, I called one of my friends. I'm like, dude, all you do is shit on like what the, the Democrats do. But every time like Trump or someone does anything crazy, you never comment. Right. It's like, yeah. that's the kind of stuff that made me feel like I couldn't talk to you about how I was feeling. He was like, I'm so sorry. Like, I never, I never want you to feel like you can't talk to me about what's going on. Cause I talked to you about what's going on in my life and all these things I'm dealing with. And it actually made, like I said, it made my friendships stronger. My best friend mm-hmm. who I mentioned is, is a Haitian guy in Florida and he was dealing with a lot of stuff like raising my, my godson and his stepdaughter. Like, and we had a lot of conversations about like what it's like to, to not only be a black man in America, but to now be raising a young black man in America, 
Sure. Because my godson's so innocent. He's the sweetest, goofiest kid. Mm -hmm. And I don't ever want to worry about whether or not he's going to make it home from baseball practice or anything like that. So, um, but it, it, it definitely made my friendship stronger. Um, I know a lot of people can't say that because unfortunately for them, it sounds like, you know, when they reached, you know, talked to their conservative friends or family, they were not the kind of people that were receptive to that or, um, at least open to saying you have a different like political, you know, mindset and, and point of view, but that's not going to prevent us from connecting as humans. That's not going to prevent right. us from caring about each other. And that's something where I'm, I, I feel bad for people that aren't willing to, to do that to them, for themselves, to be able to be open-minded and just embrace people for who they are, with their flaws and everything. Like, I don't know where we got in this country to where we just, we can't be civil even though we disagree. And that's that's where like I, I I'm a little pessimistic and sometimes maybe even a little fatalist, but I know for the, my community, the people that I hold close to me, that that's not something that I need to worry about on a day to day basis. But it's something I think about in a larger worldview, you know. Yeah, well, and I mean, listen, I'm gonna I'll get off my high horse about social media, but let's <laughs> all just acknowledge that's not helping. <laughs> oh yeah, I remember <laughs> like uh, I remember in college when Facebook first hit uh St. John's and I was like what is this and everyone was like oh it's like you know it's like what they call social media it's kind of like MySpace but a little bit easier to use and I just remember like people were it, the way that people were using Facebook even before it became public I was like this is worrisome and then once it became open to everybody I was like oh this is gonna be a problem yeah <laughs> like if I go on my yeah. Facebook now it's insane the people that are there it's like older mothers and then, like, people that just talk about random hood shit, and then there's comedians. And, like, my my feed is so insane. I'm like, uh, I need to stay off this app. Yeah, yeah. If it were designed with more humanity in mind, I think that's, you know, because people who are on it, it's a lot of great people who are on it, but it's, you know, it stokes, it just stokes a lot of stuff. And, and uh, I, I, I don't want to alienate anybody who feels like they are, um, that they've been able to reach people in a positive way through social media. I absolutely acknowledge that. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've had some wonderful experiences on social media in that way, but it just, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not our fault that they were designed to incite rage. <laughs> like It's not <laughs> yeah. our fault. It's not our fault that their algorithms are essentially designed to make you upset or jealous or just feel, mm-hmm. you know, unhappy and to continue to have that stoked so that you'll stay on it. Like that's no one's that's that's certainly not our fault. Um, but how we deal with it and what we do with it, you know, is it, it has to be our responsibility because no one else is stepping up. You know what I mean? It has to be the user because nobody else is stepping up. Oh, oh, it's time for a quick break. I will be back after a word from our friends at Maximum Fun. Strange planets, curious technology, and a fantastic vision of the distant future. Featuring Martin Starr. So we're going on day 14. Shuttle still hasn't come. Aparna Nancherla. The security system provides you with emotional security. You do the rest. Echo Kellum. Can you disconnect me or not? Hurry Kondabolu. I'm staying. From Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Jeffrey McGivern. Could you play Cindy Lauper's Girls Just Want to Have Fun? It's The Outer Reach. Stories from Beyond. Now available for free at MaximumFun.org or anywhere you listen.
this has been a wonderful conversation. <laughs> I do like to end my uh, podcast episodes with a game of MASH, a very childish uh, alternate universe kind of thing that um, I would play as a kid. Uh and it, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it stands for mansion, apartment, shack, or house. And basically, I'm just going to okay. toss a bunch of categories at you that you just have to answer semi off the cuff. Uh, even if it means like an hour later, you're like, oh, why did I say cheeseburgers? I don't even like cheeseburgers that much. Uh, three plays that plays or it could even be like um, almost like that, like a like a like a like a live theater adaptation of a movie but three plays that it would be really fun to have been or to be uh, a role in if you know you could dance exactly as you wanted if you could sing exactly as you wanted uh is there any sort of like unrealized fun role uh that and you'll end up with one of these from each category with this like dumb thing that i do okay so we're basically building your alternate your alternate future i have to think of three because the one that immediately comes to mind is jaws and i would love to play quint Oh my God! Great, 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 <laughs> like, great, great, great. Uh, yeah, next, go down that line. That's great. The next is Jurassic Park. I would love to either great. be Jeff Goldblum's character or Samuel L. Jackson's character. Great, great, great. Um, and then third one, what? Oh, you know, uh, I would love to do Space Jam as a musical because the soundtrack <laughs> is so good, and just translating yeah. that on stage will be cuckoo bananas. But <sighs> that's amazing. I would love to play Michael Jordan. In that. These are amazing off-the-cuff answers. I'm very pleased with where this is going so far. That takes me to, let's do this uh, then. Let's do now three movies that you can jump into, and you're not one of the characters and you're not re reenacting the plot. You're just in that world. Like, you're getting that vibe, and you can just chill there as long as you want, mm. um, like a vacation inside a movie. Three. Interesting. That's a very interesting. Uh, I would first go with Good Burger. Great. Great, great, great. Then another movie. I would say Scream. Great. Just because Woodsboro always reminded me of Ann Arbor, Michigan. Sure. Um, <laughs> that. And then uh, She's All That because I feel like I would be the dude during like the dance scene during the prom who'd be like, how they all know the same dance? Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good like, that is sort of a good metaphor for a lot of experiences that some of us have in high school. It's like, Maybe it's not literally that, but there's still a sense of like, how do they all know the same dance? The only time I like, uh, there's only one time in my high school career uh, experience where there was a choreographed dance and I was part of that. So I know oh. what it's like to choreograph a dance for a school dance. Lucky. And it looks choreographed. Like it doesn't look spontaneous. <laughs> it doesn't look like, you know, we just figured it out together. Spontaneously burst into a dance. Yeah. Oh, it was too uh, insane great. too. It was insane. Uh, <laughs> all right next category three foods that in this reality uh perhaps you are allergic to or it's just like so much sugar that you can't eat as much as you want like you mm. could when you were a kid or uh you feel like ecologically there are issues um in this alternate universe everything is it, there's there, nothing is happening that's bad so awesome. uh whether it's not you know that could be a uh, huge box of cookies that don't make you feel sick. You can eat them all. Uh, or it could be, it. you know, um, beef isn't really beef, but it tastes exactly like beef and it's great for you and it doesn't hurt anybody or whatever. Okay. Um, three, three that we're going to do in this alternate universe. So immediate thought comes to the, the fish meal at Long John Silver's. Great. Um, uh, chili dogs, either from A&W or his local diner from Ann Arbor, Michigan. 
that were so right. freaking good. And then last uh, is Ambassador Chicken, which is this chicken joint in East Orange, New Jersey. The hood calls it cracked chicken, and it's actually the best fried chicken I've ever had in my life. Nice. I once ate like this, a 40 pack by myself. Oh my God. This is the specificity of this is mwah, <laughs> bellissimo. Uh, I said that almost like I was Russian saying it in Italian <laughs> word, like bellissimo. Um, okay. Next one. All due respect to your wonderful wife. In the game of MASH, there mm-hmm. is a sort of crush scenario. So it's like romantic or sexy times in this alternate universe. And it can be anyone from any era. It can be a comic book character. It could be a cartoon. Um, could be, you know, somebody from, you know, X era of their career. Uh, whatever you want. Three. Okay. Uh, first comes to mind, Zazie Beats. Like, I like, I'm in love with her. Um Three. <laughs> then I would say, uh, hmm, I would say Jasmine from Aladdin, the uh, the original cartoon, not the live yep. action one. Um, yep, I got you. I got you. <laughs> I loved her for for various reasons. And then, <laughs> ooh, a third one. This is going to be really weird, but I want to say Julia Roberts in Notting Hill. Oh my god! I, I don't know her. why, but like I had the biggest crush on Julia Roberts because of that movie. Yeah, when 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 is that Mike Newell? I guess it is. Like, is that his same, so. four, same yep. as Four Weddings and a Funeral? Guy? Yep, yep. I mean, listen. As far as like gentle, slightly alt, well, whimsical British comedy is so <laughs> specific, but it could be so goddamn charming. I'm yep. a total sucker for that movie. I really am. It's um, great. I'm right there with you. Uh, the moment where they have the exchange about him saying whoopsie daisy is just a winner. Anyway, uh, okay. Next category, let's do three alternate universe. Let's do three alternate universe professions. Um, and you know, just the good mm. stuff. Like you don't have to worry about whatever feels like it's going to be a pain because nothing's perfect. Okay. I mean, immediate thoughts come are up with a uh, lawyer. I always like wanted to go to law school. Like I wanted to be a criminal uh, justice lawyer until I learned about law school and how much is involved there. Um, alternate universe, I would actually maybe be a doctor, similar to my father, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, and the last one, let's think of something insane that I always thought about doing. And then, you know, actually, I would have loved to be like, uh, I don't know what they're called, but like, if I could get over my fear of heights, the people yeah. that put together buildings and bridges, like, you know, like oh, the, sure. you know, yeah. you see the dude, like, like the pi- walking out on the steel. Yeah, beam yeah like, exactly. You see the picture of the dudes like having lunch on a steel yeah. beam and stuff. I've always yeah. wanted to know what it's like to like put together a building and then be able to look at the building and be like, I, I helped put that together. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Those images that you might as well be showing me Superman. Like those, that feels like a superhero. Yeah, it's terrifying. Like that's a superpower. The superpower of being able to do that and just feel comfortable doing that is you might as well tell me like they have x-ray vision. (laughs) It feels feels just as unlikely to me (laughs) that I would have either of those two. You know what I mean? Absolutely. In fact, speaking of superpowers, give me three superpowers. Mm, Speed, uh, invisibility. I guess fly, but if you see any black, like uh, superhero movies with black people that fly, most of the time they don't end very well. So let me let me go the weird route, like the Clayface Alex Mack route, and I want to be able to liquefy myself. Oh, great! I said that maybe too enthusiastic, but <laughs> it was all it was all. I just weird. rediscovered Alex Mack, and I have this random joke about it for my set, and I don't know how it's gonna go. 
Because I don't know how many people know Alex Mack from the 90s, but we'll see what happens. You got to try it. You got to try it. Because the people that get it are going to be like, dude, you just made my night, <laughs> yep. to say the least. Uh, okay, next category. Let's do... Uh, three let's do three rooms that you we're going to give you like a magical room in your house you know okay. where there's a door it seems like there's not space for whatever this room is but actually magically somehow uh the square footage does exist once you open the door um, and they can be it can be sort of for like very uh logical uh practical purposes or it could also just be like it's just a beach got it okay for me it would be a podcast studio great uh, a chef's kitchen, like an actual kitchen that you see in a restaurant, but like it's just for me to have in my house. Great. And then it could just be a room with stuff. I would love to have a room that's very similar to Dumbledore's, where he has like that, uh, you know, the memory bowl. Oh, sure, yeah. And I would love to have a room where I could just go and like keep my memories there, just because for me, um, the fear of losing my memory and my experiences terrifies me just because I've had so much. I've had yeah. such a robust life that I'm incredibly grateful for. And I would just hate to, to lose Like my, my grandfather, he has early onset dementia. I watched yeah. the father recently and I was just like, I am terrified about not knowing where I am, who I am. Like that. My mom had it, my friend. Oh, so I'm so I sorry. That's right alongside that's you with crazy. that. I think about it every day. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm totally right there. Um, okay. And then, and that's a great choice. And that's a great way of kind of, um, expressing it and kind of honoring it is, mm -hmm. is sort of putting it in that, that, that context, which I think is lovely. Um, okay. And then final one, let's do three places in the world, uh, whether you've been there or not. So I guess it's the ideal, it can be the idealized version of this place that, um, you can have a vacation home and we can just like teleport you there. So it doesn't matter how far away it is. Ooh. It's just one location? Uh, three. You can pick three, and then I'll, you'll end up with one. Okay. Uh, Amsterdam, Puerto Rico, and the magical world of Hogwarts in Orlando, Florida. <laughs> Great. I haven't been. Uh, it's, it's, one of the, it's literally one of the funnest places I've ever been to in my life. I have a whole 10-minute bit that I, I think I'm retiring that's about going to the candy store at, uh. at the Harry Potter world, and this little white kid... And his dad convinced me that the chocolate frogs actually jump like they do in the movie. Uh -huh. And I bought several of them, only to find out that they did not jump. They're just solid pieces of chocolate. Got and my wife was just like, what did you expect? Like, how do you think this is going to work? I'm like, I don't know. I thought magic. You know, like, I thought it was going to be a real thing. I love it. And damn, those guys are like, they're probably still talking about that. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, if I ever see that kid again, even though he's probably a, like an adult by now, I'm going to punch him in the face. <laughs> Spent a lot of money because of that kid. Getting it. Uh, all right. Let me ask you this. I'm just going to take one final word, and from that word, I will uh, deduce the 100% guaranteed alternate universe MASH future that we are creating for you today. Will you please tell me... Uh, what in one word what kind of dream would you like to have when you fall asleep tonight mm. i'm gonna say nana and that's uh the name i have for my grandmother wonderful yeah 
Okay. While I do this, and when I say calculation, I mean that in the most rudimentary sense. Uh, while I do this calculation, will you please tell people where they can find you, what they should be listening to, and so forth? Absolutely. Uh, everyone can follow me at American Collins on all social media platforms. My website's AmericanCollins.com. I have Medium Popcorn, which is a movie review podcast. It's Ron Tomatoes accredited, which means every time I review a movie, it gets added to Tomato Meter. Uh, you can find that on all podcast players, Medium Popcorn, or you can follow at Medium P Podcast on social media. And then I have Drunk Black History, which is a phenomenal show where myself and my co-host Gordon Baker Bone, we get drunk with comedians or radio personalities, and we talk about uh, black historical figures and events that haven't gone there just due. Our next show is at the Bell House in Brooklyn on Saturday, June 19th. We're celebrating Juneteenth, and you can get tickets nice. for that at DrunkBlackHistory.com. Oh, my God. That was almost so perfectly timed. Uh, okay. I am I'm very excited about this. Uh, I feel real good about the outcome. Oh, I first want to congratulate you for uh, the musical version, the staged musical bonkers version of Space Jam. Awesome. That I will be getting front row tickets to. So great job on that. Now. <laughs> Do I think that you are going to somehow be able to utilize your, your ability to liquefy yourself <laughs> during that show? <laughs> I fucking hope so. I mean, I hope so. Yep. That is going to be a real, <laughs> real upside to what is already going to be an amazing show. You also have the ability to liquefy yourself in Amsterdam at your nice. vacation home. I will be liquid after I have some of those edibles. So that's, that makes a go. lot of sense. <laughs> there you go. You can also vacation in the uh, rump of a adrenaline slash laugh fest that is the movie Scream. It's a classic. Mm. <laughs> I love this idea. Um, I also love the idea of you being a totally kick-ass uh, criminal defense attorney who is going to be working so hard that you have more than earned your unlimited, guilt-free, ramification-free, Long John Silver's food. Nice. All day, all night, however you want. Listen, you can eat whatever you want, so it doesn't have to be that. You have, uh, oh, by the way, your uh, place in Amsterdam is a mansion. So Ooh, you got nice. the mansion. You did not get the apartment shack or house. So uh, I feel your generosity of spirit will allow for many guests, many friends to benefit also from your beautiful mansion in Amsterdam. Uh, and you are doing all of this with none other than Zazie Beats. Nice. Pretty big win there. Pretty yes. big win there. And all of these experiences rest assured they will stay with you long after any of them have ended as well as all of the experiences you've had in your life so far because you will have your magical room in a, your house that allows you to uh, extract your memories and sort of preserve uh, them in some way dope. is it called a remember all i think i, I can't called, remember in the it's book something what? it's i mean it's like some sort of portmanteau yeah. magical word but i i want to say it's called the remember all the fact that i can't remember what that is called is definitely ironic um <laughs> let's say it's a remember all uh that is your wonderful mash alternate universe i hope you enjoyed uh what you ended up with i think it's quite wonderful yes i'm i'm very happy right now especially because uh, <laughs> i get to see zazie very soon i love it that's right that's right. Uh, 
Brandon, thank you so much. And everyone, please check out all of the wonderful and sundry things that Brandon is up to. Uh, I do invite, because I only have gentlemen guests on in the summer, to sing a snippet of a sum- summer song of their choice that oh, could or could boy. not be Don Henley's Boys of Summer. Um, which just happens to be the name of the summer series that I do. Okay. Uh, totally up to you. You can also say, why don't you shut up, Janet? This podcast is over. It's up to you. <laughs> I mean, new kids on the block had a bunch of hits. Chinese food makes me sick. I think <laughs> I, <laughs> LFO. That's like the song that came to my mind and my wife's going to hate that I just did that. I'm very happy. So if she needs to talk to anyone about it, she could call me and I'll say, <laughs> but I'm so happy. Uh, thank you. Thank you again. Thank you for and having everybody me. else. Happy next time on podcast. The show is recorded by me and edited by Julian Burrell. And as always, the JV Club theme song is Back Before We Were Brittle by the amazing Say Hi. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture Artist owned Audience supported